electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to The Keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Tyler Matheson. And I'm Krista Braun, a producer with CNBC Events. And on this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with CEOs, entrepreneurs, thought leaders from interviews we recorded in front of a live audience uh, around the country. Today, we bring you a conversation with Mark Bertolini. He's the former CEO of the healthcare benefits company Aetna. He joined us at our Evolve conference in New York City in June of 2019. Why, Krista, did we ask Bertolini to come? Well, the numbers are clear. I mean, from 2010 to 2018, while Bertolini was the CEO of Aetna, under his leadership, the stock soared over 600 percent. It was it made the company a tremendously valuable uh, acquisition for CVS in 2018. But What's so amazing about Mark Bertolini is that all of the changes that he implemented at the organization, or many of them at least, came from a really personal place. His son uh, was, was very ill when he was younger. So as a consumer of insurance... He'd been on the receiving end of he had healthcare, been, insurance, and coverage issues. And then himself, he was in a skiing accident uh, before he became CEO, which left him with chronic pain. And through that, he started to explore new kinds of medicine, uh, different kinds of treatments, yoga, meditation. And he brought that to his work when he became CEO at Aetna. He'll talk more about that in the interview. But it's, and, and it's you were just telling me a few moments ago that he has an interesting backstory about his life as a student or failing <laughs> student, basically. <laughs> to, to have achieved the success that he has, knowing that he, he took eight years to get through undergrad and failed twice, he told us. There's hope for me now. There is hope for all of us, I think. <laughs> yeah. He also emphasized preventative care in a way and, and, and getting Aetna to pay for it, uh, unlike some other insurance companies. I think of Aetna um, less as a healthcare company and more of as an insurance company. But, but that's a big part of their success. He well. did. And again, that, in a large part, I think that, was, that came from his personal experiences and where he saw real value could be uh, handed down to the consumer. All right. Let's get to our conversation with Mark Bertolini. He was interviewed on stage by our colleague Sarah Isaac. So it's very appropriate that we have Mark here to kick off this amazing event talking about transforming businesses and evolving during good times and bad times because Mark did that. He wrote a book on it. He wrote a Harvard Business Review paper on it, which I read last night. Thank you. And he speaks very eloquently. So, Mark, when did your evolution of Aetna begin? Um, well, it actually, um, I, I spent the better part of 2002, um, late 2001, 2002, and part of 2003 with my son in a hospital fighting T-cell gamma delta lymphoma, um, which had never been cured. Um, he is today 33 years old and has a daughter and another one on the way, um, but he's the only one who ever survived his disease. 
And so I realized, because of only 47 people had ever been diagnosed with it, that um, I needed to engage personally in what was going on. So, you know, Harrison's internal medicine text, laptop computer, meet with the medical team every morning. I was a nightmare for them. What are we doing today? What are the priorities, et cetera? Needless to say, um, as a result of that journey and spending time with him, um, when I went to Aetna immediately after his, he came home um, in 2003, um, I began to say, we need to change the system. And one of the things we focused on was compassionate care, end of life, which um, is a huge driver of healthcare costs in the United States. Almost 25% of um, costs in Medicare um, relate to end of life care. And what you have to do in the Medicare program today is you have to admit you're gonna die in six months and you can't seek curative services while you're in hospice. I did that with Eric. I had to sign a piece of paper that said he's gonna die and that will keep him comfortable um, and that um, he can't seek any curative services. And when we found a drug for him, we had to leave hospice. We had to sign out of hospice, which was, and they said, do you wanna leave hospice or do you wanna give him the drug? I said, let me think about that for just a minute. And so we left and that drug saved his life. And, and in that moment, what we did at Aetna is we said, let's try this. Let's not require people to admit they're going to die. Let's tr allow them to seek curative services. All they have to do is accept hospice early. And the people that died in hospice in our control program, which was two years long, went from 24% going into hospice to 74%. Hospital days went down 85%. Medical costs went down 70%. And the letters we got from people about the quality of life of that individual as they neared death were amazing. So we brought it to the pre President Obama's administration um, and said, we have this really great idea, here's the data. And they said, oh no, they're talking about death panels, we can't do this, why don't you take it to the Institutes of Medicine, hold a conference, which we did, but the program got killed because there was a conversation going on about, well, the. Obamacare is going to create, the ACA is going to create um, um, death panels. So that, so Aetna provides that for all of its clients today. It's an amazing program. It's free uh, because it actually reduces costs and re improves quality of life, not only for the individual but the family. But that began the experiment. Okay, what more could we do to That's make the program? That was before you were CEO. That was before I was CEO, yeah. You became CEO 2010. Right. What, what was Aetna like then? Um, we were a company that was crawling out of a deep hole that we got into trouble in 2009, and the market went bad, the economy went bad, um, and um, I was president during that, so you know we had to rethink the way we thought about our company. Um, and, and the key variable we came up with at the time was that for every 50 basis points we changed healthcare costs, there was $480 million improvement in underwriting margin and another $480 million for our clients. And so what can we do to improve that margin? And about that time, a few years earlier, the um, Bush administration had put Medicare Advantage in place. And what we found in the process was that if we actually invested in people, they actually got better and their healthcare costs went down. So we developed this model and this team of people that did nothing but look for what are the things that we could do to improve the quality of care, to improve the quality of life, to reduce another 50 basis points. And every year we went after 350 basis points. And so in 2010, we had an 8% operating margin. The street said we couldn't keep it. 
we actually grew it to 9.1, and that was by literally looking for ways we could improve the quality of care and improve the quality of life for individuals and reduce their costs by virtually keeping them away from the medical industrial complex. And that became the secret. That was the CEO metric, if you had to have a CEO metric. The CEO metric was, where do I find the next 50 basis points? Were you the only one doing this in the industry? Yeah. And then everybody started to catch on. Uh, Medicare Advantage was the place to see it most obviously because we got paid for the risk of individuals. But then we started to bring it to Medicaid. We started to bring it to our commercial populations. Um, and it showed great results. And I said, wow, think of this. We're not denying stuff. We're actually making sure people get the best care. And if we can do that, we can actually reduce the cost of care and improve their quality of life, and they'll like us. And that's when we began the experiment with our employees. Um, I was using yoga and mindfulness for my arm. I have neuropathy. My left arm burns all day long. Right now it's burning like crazy because um, the weather's bad outside. It's going to storm today. Uh, every day. Yep. And every day. It never stops, 24-7. Yeah. And so I use yoga and mindfulness for it. And so <laughs> I came to work one day and said, let's do yoga and mindfulness for everybody in the company. And they sent the chief medical, and everybody in the meeting nodded. And then the chief medical officer came to see me later and said, Mark, this is craziness. Um, How this many is people? Voodoo, this is voodoo medicine. How many people worked for you? Um, I had four. I have four. I, up, until the, uh, up until the last two years, I had 14 people reporting to me um, directly. I feel that flat organizations are better. Got your hand on the wheel, you know what's going on. Um, and, um, and, 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 and so he said, you know, this is voodoo medicine. Everybody thinks you're crazy. And I said to Lonnie Reisman, who was our chief medical officer, what would it take for you to believe? And he said, if you do a double-blind study. So we did pre and post heart rate variability and cortisol levels and stress levels of our top 20% of our employees in the top, 20, in the top quintile of stress had $1,500 more a year in healthcare costs. Year over year over year over year. Um, and post, those levels dropped in half. And the next year... Our healthcare costs went down seven and a half percent as a company. Went down, not a reduction in trend. The cost, the dollar cost, actually went down. We said, "There's something here. Let's invest in our employees. Let's find a better way to take care of them." And when we looked at the stress level drivers, it was compensation. We had employees who were working two jobs. We had most of the frontline employees were 81 percent were single mothers. Um, they had. 20% of their families on food stamps, and their children on Medicaid. And so I so said, we have to change this. Um, so I bought everybody a copy of Thomas Piketty's book for Christmas that year and said, read this. This is the alternative. What should ours be? And that's when we raised wages from 12 to $16 for our frontline employees and wiped out their health care costs if they were under 300% of the federal poverty level. Our engagement scores went up 1,200%. Our retention of in-customers went up. Um, our stock price at the time was $62.50, and we you know, culminated the transaction with CVS at $208. Um, and so we spent, we probably spent, we did, we had all, and after that, the, the company just went crazy with, from a cultural standpoint where all the employees started coming in, can we do this, can we do this? We had pet therapy. Um, and the only thing I said no on pet therapy were the mini ponies. Um, <laughs> but we had dogs, cats guinea pigs and uh, rabbits um, that would come into our buildings. People would line up at lunchtime to go pet the animals and reduce their stress. We paid people to sleep seven and a half hours. Does that work? Hmm? That works? Pet therapy? Uh -huh. Oh, yeah. 
People love it. Do you have a dog? I don't. Well, I have a dog. She she is the best medicine for me every night. She a German Shepherd, um, Kiva. I should have brought her. I could have brought her this morning. She's home alone. Um, and um, and we did. We paid people to sleep seven and a half hours a night. We would pay them. They did it twenty nights in a row. We would give them three hundred dollars. Um, and then um, we um, doubled our tuition assistance. We pay back student loans. Um, and all, none of those were my idea. None of it was in a plan. But what we did is we turned on the organization culturally to say, oh, wow, we can take care of each other. And it doesn't hurt the company. So by the time um, we closed the transaction, we had 120 to $125 million a year more in employee expenses related to all those services. Um, we had PTO banks where we donated our free PTO to people who needed it so they could still get a paycheck because they had to be with their families. We moved all of our employees out of harm's way on any natural disaster before it came, if we could do that, the hurricanes. Put them in hotel rooms with their families and their pets. Um, we, so we just took care of each other. And the cultural energy that was created in the organization as a result was the power that we could never measure. But I'm sure our decisions better, people were more engaged with our customers, and we got a really high return out of that. Still ahead on the keynote, the tsunami that Mark Bertolini sees heading toward American business. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Welcome back to the keynote by CNBC Events. You're listening to a conversation with former Aetna CEO Mark Bertolini. He sat down with Sarah Eisen at CNBC's Evolve conference in June 2019. It sounds like what you did was a mix of you know, changing the business financially, mm-hmm. changing the business in terms of your customers, and really focusing inward and changing the entire culture. Is that sort of how you think about it? Yep. I, I, think, the, I, think, the, I think the two tsunamis headed our way as business people are human capital. Right now, if you look at the level of education um, in most communities, we have a huge human capital problem, and it's going to hollow out the basic infrastructure of our economy in another decade, and we're going we're to regret it. And the other is climate change. Between those two, we are headed to disaster. And there are solutions to solve this, but we need to begin doing them now. And, and, and so for years, we as business people have been trained in our education to husband scarce resources and to put at risk plentiful resources. And for a lot of years, the scarce resource was capital and the plentiful resources were people. Just put another person in the machine. That's flipped 15, 20 years ago. And our scarce resource is human capital, and our plentiful resource is financial capital. It's fallen out of trees. And so we should be putting financial capital at risk for the interest of human capital. And that has to begin all the way back in elementary schools. My wife and I work in the Harlem schools with urban farming across from elementary schools. 85% of the kids in Harlem are below rating level for their grade in second grade, and third grade is the beginning of the prison pipeline. 
40% of the kids in Harlem in elementary school are in homeless shelters. And with all these vacant strip malls we have around America, let's build some homes for them, permanent homes, not shelters. I encourage Margaret Benioff, don't build shelters in San Francisco, build homes. Where people, and all they need is a studio apartment. Because that's an adverse childhood event that sets off a chain reaction in education that ultimately leads to the prison pipeline. So that's our education problem. All these charter schools and all these STEM programs, wrong argument. Help people to read. The second part is climate change and what's going on in the deep oceans, and I don't know if you're looking at the studies, I look at them every day, um, is that we're hollowing out CO2 consumption. You know that shellfish have five times the CO2 consumption level of plants up on land? But we're hollowing out because kelp is being farmed and the kelp is going away. Let's build kelp farms, it's cheap. Let's replenish the shellfish population. So all these things are available for us to consume carbon in different ways, but we keep putting a manana because we've got more important things, like tariffs. Well, also, I mean, to be fair, there's, I mean, there's share price return. If your stock price isn't working and your business isn't working, as a leader, you're not going to focus on building kelp farms, are you? No, but we can put our organization, so I think this is where corporate, interestingly enough, corporations now have the highest credibility level of institutions in America. We're at 28%. <laughs> it doesn't sound very high. Every other institution, including media, is below that. <laughs> so one could say we actually have an opportunity to change the dialogue and the way we interact with the communities we're in. Our social and economic ecosystems are so large now, and this is in the book, that our governments can't handle it anymore. And so we try to make bigger government, make more control, which will never fix it. We need to go back to community. We need to go almost back to an agrarian society where nobody falls through the cracks in our community. And that's where we can do urban farming, and we can deal with you know, farming in the oceans along the shores of Maine, where I'm headed to next week. Let's build kelp farms. Let's, change, let's create urban farms. Let's invest in those, because for us as a companies, the economy is really important, right? And if the economy doesn't work because we have a human capital problem and climate change is destroying the environments within which we work, we've got a bigger problem longer term. Now, it won't be us. It might be some of you, but it won't be us because we'll be all, I'm retired. Um, <laughs> but if we don't do something about it, the future's gone and, the, and our economy's gone. It doesn't matter what your business does. You talked a lot about building a culture and investing in your people, pet therapy, yoga, yeah. improving their quality of life, student loans. Did you have reservations about selling the company to CVS and whether all of that could be maintained? So there are four levels of Taoist leadership. Level one is your people hate you. Level two is your people fear you. Level three is that they respect you. And level four is you're invisible. And what I worked really hard was to get to level four so that the organization did it. And the strategy is so profound in the way we get back to community and in the community to improve the quality of health and life in our community that if I had to give up the job, which I didn't want to do, but that was part of the deal, if I had to give up the job, I had to rely on the people that I brought along who make their evolution in the four levels of Dallas leadership.
and to carry it forward. What does that mean? You got guarantees from CBS? Well, and part of the deal was they couldn't change our employee compensation for a year. Um, but I have a team of people that are very strong that work there, um, that have been on my team, and hopefully we were able to create some uh, osmotic shift in the way they thought about culture. We, I think, I think we did, and they have to carry the ball forward now. It's their turn. And so that's the hope, is that they can carry it forward. Still ahead on the keynote, the problem with PowerPoint. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Welcome back to the keynote by CNBC Events. You're listening to a conversation with former Aetna CEO Mark Bertolini. He sat down with Sarah Eisen at CNBC's Evolve Conference in June 2019. You said you're retired. What, what, what else have you got going on in terms of how you're going to bring these leadership lessons yeah. to uh, the broader corporate community? And would you ever consider going into government? Because we've got a healthcare system that could use some transformation. <laughs> Um, I, you know, I'm uh, helping two um, of my son's friends from high school um, scale a microgrid company. Um, we actually have sold some large accounts. Um, we have a lot of revenue on board, and we're now in negotiations to raise enough capital. But they figured out how to take solar battery and the exhaust coming off of natural gas engines, turning it into CO2, and create a cogeneration platform that reduces carbon footprint by 75% and reduces energy costs by 30 and we build the plant. Um, I financed the first one for them. Um, and it hooks into the grid to sell power back to the grid. Uh, and um, this is an amazing technology. So we're doing vertical farms um, across America. We're doing pot farms um, in places where it's legal. Um, and we're doing um, universities. And, and, and we're also looking at you know, data centers and hospitals and nursing homes. And so these two guys are brilliant, um, and I'm just helping them to structure an organization so it can grow. So spending some time there, I'm on a few boards, including the CBS Health Board. Um, I'm on Verizon and Mass Mutual, Thrive Global with Ariana Huffington. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I'm doing some project work with companies in the area on building governance and, and management process. Because ideas are always great, but it only really matters if you can execute against them. And so you have to build the team and the metrics and the nitty-gritty, on your belly, in the mud, crawling through the mud, making it work every day. That's the power in, in, in the idea. It's not in the idea itself. Before we open it up to questions, you didn't answer my, my government question. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, you know, I, um, I have been asked, um, I'm not sure government's functional enough to make any headway. And I think we've got a problem. We've got to figure this out. Um, but I think, you know, people of, it used to be that people that were successful then gave time to the government to help the country to be successful. And it doesn't seem we have a structure today um, with the incivility, um, the um, poor behaviors of a, of a large number of people, and the polarization of the ideology and the parties where anything can get really done. And you know, I would rather work at the community level and build up from the community versus trying to beat my head against the wall at the government level. Um, I just don't know that there would have to be a lot of changes and different leadership at a number of levels in order for me to even consider that. But my wife has told me that she would love to watch me on TV and she'll always send me nice notes. Um, <laughs> Sounds like she's not on board. Yeah. <laughs> um, anybody have a question? Hi, I'm Tara Jones. I'm a vice president for FX. So we are partnering with manufacturing businesses across the country and they're really trying to survive this climate. How is it that you and your team, can you share how you and your team determined what spend you needed to, to, how did you spend your money to give back to the employees to change that culture? Because you listed off several things which I noted down, but a lot of these manufacturing companies, their margins are smaller. They can't spend that money, so that'd be very calculated as to what they're gonna spend it on. How did you guys determine what your employees wanted? So um, you have to change the spreadsheet. Spreadsheets are poison. Spreadsheets and PowerPoints are poison. Because back when I had the first spreadsheet, you had to hit auto-calc after you changed the number, and then the spreadsheet would refoot, otherwise your numbers wouldn't foot. Now you get these five deep, 20 deep spreadsheets with all these numbers, and somebody's in there going, well, what could I do if I change this number? And all of a sudden, as a leader, you need to be a forensic scientist to find <laughs> out what number got changed, get the right answer. And so what I said to my people, I'm done with this. If you give me the spreadsheet, I'm going to spend time with it. When I find where you did it, it's going to be really painful for you. But if you do it a different way, so if you say, not what is truth based on the numbers, but you say, what are the five key assumptions driving numbers in this spreadsheet that we need to understand, the range of risk? And then when we understand that range of risk, let's then rate, let's... Let's take those risks and line them up and stand back as a team and say, based on this set of risks and the range of outcomes that could come on these key numbers in our spreadsheet, what do we need to believe as a team to take this risk? That's a very different discussion than what does the spreadsheet say we can do it. That then forces you to build a management process around your idea that forces you to evaluate those risks every day and to recalibrate your spreadsheet and your approach every way. So if you look at really successful companies in this country, the original idea wasn't what made them powerful. It was this idea being able to iterate against an idea by having enough insight into what was going on with your creation. So take the spreadsheet, make people put the assumptions out there on the five key items in the spreadsheet, don't look at the bottom line and say based on these risks and the range around them, 
What do we need to believe as a team in order to take this risk? That's exact. The spreadsheet never worked on raising employee wages and reducing medical costs. We couldn't make the number work. So we arranged it all, and then we put soft benefits down and said, what do we need to believe as a team here to do this, to help our employees? And it was a lot easier decision. Actually, the CFO at the end going, is this enough? So that was the, turn, the turning point. We're and PowerPoints, don't let people give you PowerPoints. <laughs> they spend all sorts of time figuring about font, words, color. Don't do it. Make them come in and talk to you. All right, we're over time, but I want to try to get one more question, if we could. I'll make it really quick. Alec Coughlin, Publicis Sapient. Um, just to, everything you say and everything you do is what I think my generation wants in a leader. So how do we clone you? How do we scale you? How do I get you into my company so that we can do what, what it is that you all did? So this, I believe this is the role of the corporation in creating a more sustainable capitalist model for America. We have a wage economy, we have a wealth economy. The wage economy has been flat since 72. The wealth economy has been growing. People thought they had wealth in their homes, and that all changed in 2008. And so for us to create wealth, it starts with businesses like yours. And I have all the time in the world to spend time with people to figure that out. Mark, thank you so <laughs> thank much. Thank you. <laughs> that was former Aetna CEO Mark Bertolini interviewed by Sarah Eisen on stage at CNBC's Evolve Conference in New York City in June 2019. I'm Tyler Matheson here in the studio with events team producer Krista Braun. Krista, I have a confession to make. I really hate insurance companies. <laughs> I detest them. But Mark Bertolini rather made me like them. I, I agree with you, Tyler. I, the, the one thing I hate is when I start getting the mail of all the explanation of benefits. I and can't understand them I ever. Don't, I don't either. I don't either. I've got a stack I think I need to deal with. But no. But Mark, I think what, what really makes him stand out and what's so interesting to me is that he approached his work with a real entrepreneurial spirit. Mm -hmm. He saw, he experienced problems in his own life. He saw how he could fix them at Aetna. And he, even when people told him no, he said, you know what, we're going to try it anyway. He had more of a soulful approach in a, in a, in a, in a bean counterish business to me. Uh, he, he, he does yoga. He thinks that should be part of your health regimen, uh, alternative therapies, pet therapies, and so on and so forth, that he tried out within his workforce at Aetna, saw that it improved productivity. He also made the place a better place to work, paid people more, and that turned out not only to help morale, but to help the bottom line. He did. And now I think that you can see that wanting to do good, to do better, continuing in his life as he looks toward how can we solve problems around climate change? How can we solve problems around education, pipelines, and getting people into the jobs that that he brought people to at Aetna. Of course, he engineered or was part of the engineering of the merger with CVS uh, that uh, led to Aetna basically becoming a part of CVS. So he's no longer involved with the company in the kind of direct day-to-day -day executive way. Right. But I got to believe there is a next act in Mark Bertolini's life. He already started talking about investing in other companies. I think that we haven't seen the last of Mark Bertolini. Krista, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. The keynote is produced by the CNBC events team. For more information about CNBC events, including how you can join us in person, we'd love to see you at one, visit CNBCEvents.com. I'm Tyler Matheson. Thanks for listening. 
Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.